0: This morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. Acts 2 42 through 47 and I would love for you to make your way there in your Bible and if you don't have a Bible you can grab one from the racks. and uh, this passage is found on page 911. Let's pray first and then we'll read God's Word. Heavenly Father, Uh, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word remains forever. Your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and your word works. Lord, when your spirit goes before the word to unstop our ears and open our eyes and give us receptive hearts, and the word is preached not necessarily because of my skill, but because the power of the word, Jesus does a work within us. The Spirit of Christ uh, plants the Word in our hearts. And so I pray this morning as we look at this beautiful picture of the church, um, that we as members of your church uh, would, would be called to this beauty, and that you would do a work within us that we can't simply do for ourselves. Do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts 2 42. Through forty-seven, This is God's holy word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God write his word upon our hearts. Have you ever seen a picture of a place that didn't quite live up to expectations when you saw it in person? A few years ago, um, our family was traveling to Baton Rouge to see some of Kimbo's family, and we decided to leave on a Sunday afternoon uh, after church. And so, Uh, We hadn't really made any firm plans, but but late afternoon, we realized that we'd gotten a late start. We weren't going to make it the whole way. We didn't have the energy. We didn't have the drive to, to drive all the way, and so we decided that we would stop somewhere near Shreveport and spend the night. So we hadn't made a hotel reservation, and I began to look online for a place to stay, and I found a place. It was near the highway it was relatively cheap, and most importantly, it looked pretty nice from the pictures. But then I went inside, I pulled into the, uh, the, the overpass, and I, I went inside to check us in, and I came back out to the car, and I said, okay, Kimbo, don't freak out. We're just going to be here for a few hours. We're just sleeping here, we're getting some rest, we'll be on our way. Don't, don't freak out. This place, this was, it was something else. The, um, the carpet was absolutely filthy. Um, our room number was written in Sharpie on the wall next to the door. <laughs> the, the Wi-Fi router was hanging down from the ceiling outside of our door. I mean, at least they had Wi-Fi, but um, the Wi-Fi router was hanging down from the ceiling. Uh, Kimbo refused to let any of our kids go into the bathroom it was so disgusting and I'm pretty certain that when I went out to the car to retrieve our bags I saw a drug deal go down by the pool (laughs) so the pictures didn't match reality the pictures online did not match reality and yet, on the, on the other hand, have you ever seen a picture of a place that when you saw it in person was even more beautiful and amazing than the picture? A few years ago, I, I got to spend a couple of days in Paris, and I had seen pictures of Notre Dame Cathedral, but it was far more impressive in person in, in a way, the pictures did not match reality because they did not do it justice. Notre Dame was far more beautiful and amazing than the pictures I had seen. Here at the end of Acts 2, we see a picture of the church, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. In, in this picture, we see a church whose orthodoxy matches her orthopraxy. We see a church whose doctrine and practice were beautifully aligned. We see a church that was growing in gospel doctrine, but also growing in gospel practice. Uh, Scott Sauls, he's a, a PCA pastor in Nashville, just one of the best pastors out there, writes, gospel doctrine without gospel culture is hollow and ugly. Let me say that again. Gospel doctrine without gospel culture, is hollow and ugly. And yet, gospel culture without gospel doctrine is shallow and ugly. But in this picture, we see a church that's committed to growing in faith and knowledge, as well as growing in service and mercy. What we see is a truly orthodox church, and it's beautiful. And so one author says that this picture that Luke paints for us is an ideal picture of Christ's new community. It's an ideal picture, but it's, an, it's not an idyllic picture. This, this picture shows us what the church was like then and what it should be like now. When people look at us, they should say, the picture that I've seen from Acts 2 matches the reality that I see at CPC. So with all that in mind, I, I've got just two thoughts that I want you to consider First, here in this passage, we see a picture of spiritual devotion. Spiritual devotion. In the, uh, in the intro to CPC class, um, a class we do a few times a year, it's a, it's a way for folks who are new to the church to get to know us, who we are, and what we believe. I've been sharing with the folks in that class about the four values of our church. Uh, the values of worship, teaching, nurture, and reaching. Now, where do those values come from? Did we just make those up? Did we pull them out of thin air? No, they come from this passage. They come from this passage in particular and the first part of Acts in general. Now, the, the church is not a building, right? The church is not this building. But I want you for a moment to imagine the church as a building. Our foundation is the gospel and Jesus is the cornerstone. As a church, our foundation is the gospel and Jesus is the cornerstone. If our foundation is built upon anything other than Jesus and his gospel, then it's a faulty foundation. If what we're doing here is built upon anything else than Jesus and, and the word of the gospel, it's a faulty foundation that will fail. And yet, on that foundation of Christ and the gospel, the gospel with Christ is the cornerstone, on that, we have four pillars, four values. Each of them are absolutely vital. And so, what I want to do for a moment is just dig down and, and, uh, and, and see these values of the church at work, both in the early church as well as in ours. And so, first, what we see is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we, as a church, must be devoted to teaching and to learning. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God with our whole being. And if we're going to love God with our whole being, then we must know God. And the primary way that we know God is through His self-revelation in the Word. We will never be beautifully orthodox if we're not grounded in the Word. And yet, I want you to understand there's more to true orthodoxy than teaching and learning. Do you remember the movie Monsters, Inc? The character Mike. Mike was the short green one who was all head, he was just a big green head with arms and legs. When we devote ourselves to teaching, but stay there, we end up like Mike. Just big heads. Big, bloated, monstrous heads. We gain big heads, but not burning hearts. And so, we must be devoted to teaching and learning, and to going deep as well as wide in God's word. But the goal is teaching for transformation. The goal is not just big heads, but burning hearts. An orthodoxy that actually takes root, being grounded in His Word. And so the church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to that apostolic message, to the gospel with Christ as the cornerstone. And we must be devoted to that. And second, they devoted themselves to fellowship. And we also must be devoted to fellowship. Now, fellowship... It's more than potlucks and Super Bowl parties. Right? In fact, the word fellowship, koinonia, the word fellowship means intimate participation, intimate participation. It's the value of nurture. So where does fellowship happen? Well, it sometimes happens over a potluck or a coffee shop or in your living room. Or or it can happen in many places because the heart of fellowship what that word means when we see it in scripture the heart of fellowship is knowing others and being known it's not just hanging out it's not just talking about the game although that may that may be a segue into it it's not just how was your week that, 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 that small talk, that common talk, those are often ways, uh, segues into fellowship, but fellowship is intimate participation. It's where we know others and are known by others. And if the church isn't a place where we can intimately know others and be intimately known, if it isn't a place where we care for one another in an environment of grace, then our orthodoxy hasn't translated into orthopraxy. Too often the church is built on pretense and shallow relationships, and that is ugly. It doesn't match the picture that we see here, and so we're devoted to being lifelong learners, to teaching and to fellowship, uh, to teaching and to learning and to embracing the apostolic message, but we're also devoted to life together, to intimate relationships. Third, we see they devoted themselves to worship, and we also must be devoted to worship. So in this passage, the phrase, breaking bread, it's used twice. And it doesn't mean the same things both times. So in Luke, uh, in verse 42, Luke writes, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And in that context, he means the Lord's Supper F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary, writes that in verse 42, the phrase "breaking bread denotes more than regular meals. It's the regular observance of what came to be called the Lord's Supper. It's the communion meal. When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, it's the communion meal that happened in the context of worship. Now, later on in verse 46, it says day by day in each other's homes, they were breaking bread. And there it does mean regular, shared meals, the kind of meals that we talked about last winter, where we're we're in uh, each other's homes, and we're, we're eating together and drinking together and celebrating the goodness of God together, and they were doing both. These fellowship meals that happen day in and day out but also the communion meal in the context of worship. And the point being, they were devoted to worshiping together. uh, Luke says they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to corporate worship, which is the context for the communion meal. They didn't view corporate worship as optional. Jason and I have scratched our heads about this many times. Um, and, and, and I, I, I am not one of those good old days, you know, let's just go back to how it was. If we can just get back to the Ozzy and Harriet, leave it to Beaver kind of days, then everything would, would be right again. Um, I think that's just sort of foolish thinking. But, um, but I do lament that uh, Jason and I are in our early 40s and growing up until the last 15 years. Uh, in, in, in our culture, church participation was measured by an average of three touch points per week. So the church that I grew up in, we had Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, Wednesday night service. Over time, as those things changed, it doesn't have to be a Sunday night service or a Wednesday night service, but three weekly touch points was, were how... Um, sociologist judged active participation in the church it might be a small group on a tuesday evening it might be a women's bible study on a thursday morning or corporate worship on sunday mornings but it was three touch points around god's people per week and now it is three times per month that's what the average christian has a touch point with with the church and so i know i'm preaching to the choir because you're actually here But you need to look around and discover the brother or sister who's not here. Because corporate worship is not optional. When people look at CPC, do they see the beauty of a bunch of messed up people who gather week in and week out under the banner of Jesus to worship him? Not because we have anything to bring, but because of our common sin and our common Savior. I hope they do. I want them to. They were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to corporate worship, the breaking of bread, the sacrament meal. And then fourthly, they were devoted to prayer. And of course, we too must be devoted to prayer. What do we pray for? What do we see as we, and we'll continue as we work our way through Acts, we see what what the church prayed for. We pray for God to keep doing what he started on Pentecost. God, would you you keep doing here at CPC and among us what you did in Acts 2, where you poured out your spirit and power and where they were emboldened to witness for you? Would you keep doing that? We know you will. You pledged you will, but will you help us to see that and participate in that? We pray for the spirit to work in us and through us with power. We pray for those who are lost to be found. We pray for perseverance. As we're going to see through Acts, much of the early church, the context of it is persecution, scattering. So we pray for perseverance. Lord, keep, keep us uh, bound to you and bound to one another because there's going to be threats and temptations along the way to drive wedges, to drive a wedge between, between me and you or me and others. And we see that happening with even, even the apostles. And even their protégés, Paul and Barnabas, John Mark, men that we, but are these wedges being driven because of the temptations and trials that come with being the church? And so, Lord, help us to persevere. And then we also pray, Lord, will you, will you help the gospel take that most difficult journey of 18 inches from my head to my heart? So that my orthodoxy works itself out in loving orthopraxy. So that what I know about you works itself out into how I love you and love others. And so we see a picture of spiritual devotion, multifaceted devotion, teaching, learning, intimate participation, corporate worship, the sacrament meal as the center, prayer. Picture in Acts two forty two is truly beautiful, but there's more to the picture. You see the real the real beauty in this Orthodox church is is in the way they served one another and sacrificed for one another, day in and day out. They weren't just Sunday Christians who attended Sunday school, participated in worship, and then talked a little bit around coffee and cookies in the cafe. Verse forty four says. That, that regularly they were together. They were together. And so the second thought that I want you to consider is that if we are going to be a beautiful church, if 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 our church, the picture of our church, matches the reality that we see here, then it's going to have to be a picture of service and sacrifice. I was talking about this uh, with, with a couple of um, just before the service this morning, people get a little bit nervous when they read verses 44 through 46. It makes them nervous that they, they want to write it off as a description but not a prescription. That they want to say, well, that's what they did, but that doesn't mean it's what we should do. Listen, I, I I'm not going to try to stretch the text and say that we should all just sell our houses and live in a commune and adopt a form of light socialism? I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say that if the picture of CPC doesn't reveal serving one another and sacrificing for one another and being together, then it doesn't match the beautiful picture that we're given here. If you know Jason you know that he, uh, he fancies himself a welder. Uh, he had a job, he fancies himself many things, but of those, uh, of those one of them is, is a welder because he had a job several years ago in Arizona um, at a welding shop, and, and he welded himself a really nice smoker. And so over the last couple of years, he's saved his pennies and his nickels, and he bought himself this past year a welder. It's his pride and joy. You have a name for it? Not one that you can share? Uh, He has this pride and joy welder, and and Jason was telling me that a while back, uh, Steve Baker had something that needed welding. And so Jason lent him his pride and joy welder. Now listen, that may sound like a small thing, but in the context of outside of this building, day in and day out, one brother serving another brother a few months ago (laughs) a few months ago uh kind of scary a drunk driver hopped the curb over here and we own the two houses to the west right here and ethan lives in the the southern one and joey kime in the northern one and a a car jumped the curb and smashed the fence uh, by the house where joey kime lives and so later that week thomas black came up here with his tools and he and a few guys fixed the fence. may sound like a small thing, but it was a sacrifice of time and the service of tools, and it was one another together. So last year, Amy Rice's mom, uh, Janet, she was in the hospital in Oklahoma City, and she needed someone to, to sit with her while Amy was at work. And so several of our ladies, whose names I couldn't even tell you, drove over to Oklahoma City regularly to sit with Janet in order to serve Amy. And they didn't do it to get their names mentioned in a sermon. They did it because of a beautiful orthodoxy. Because when what we believe translates into how we live, it's a beautiful thing. Those are just a few examples. I'm sure there are are many more that I don't even know about. When, when the picture of the church matches reality, and this is what I want to leave you with, when the picture of the church matches reality, the church just doesn't worship, pray, learn, and fellowship. The church daily serves and sacrifices. That's a beautiful church. That's a truly orthodox church, not simply a church who has its doctrinal eyes dotted and its theological T's crossed. That has a place But when when that love translates from head to heart and then to hands. When orthodoxy grows out into orthopraxy. When we've got gospel doctrine married to gospel culture. And what's the end result of all of that? When the church is beautiful, as the church is meant to be beautiful, when the church is orthodox, as it's meant to be orthodox, what does God's what does God do when his people are devoted to him and one another? Verse 47. They had favor with all the people. These were people outside the church who saw the beauty of the church who saw a picture that matched reality. And how does the section end? The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. What what is our mission? What's the mission that that Christ has left us with in Acts 1-8? When the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One of the ways that we live as witnesses is by living as a beautifully orthodox church. A church whose whose lives match the reality that we see here in the picture. Jesus said, All men will know that you are my disciples when you can recite the Shorter Catechism by heart. No, he said, all men will know that you're my disciples when you can list in your sleep and embroider on a pillow the five solos of the Reformation. I think we've missed orthodoxy when we make it simply about what we know as opposed to its translation to life and what it looks like to live it out. Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples. That's the witness component. When you love. One another. What we see in this passage is the church loving one another. They were devoted. They were devoted to teaching, to learning, to the apostolic message of the gospel with Christ as the cornerstone. They were devoted as Jesus leaves in Matthew 28. This is Matthew's uh, recording of just before the ascension. And you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and uh, when I go... I will empower you. All authority will be given to you to go and to make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we're devoted to teaching. We're devoted to intimate participation, not simply, sh- uh, not simply shallow relationships. We're devoted to worship. Worship becomes a priority for us week in, week out. With the good news of the gospel and word and sacrament. We're devoted to prayer because we're a dependent people. And then day by day, day in, day out, Monday through Saturday, we serve and we sacrifice. So let's pray for that. Let's pray for the picture of CPC to match the reality of Acts 2 more and more. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we want to to be this beautifully orthodox church. But not a church that just simply gets it right doctrinally or theologically and stays there but a church whose orthodoxy is seen in her orthopraxy, a church who seeks to serve, uh, sacrifice and serve one another, to love one another truly, to know one another, so that people know me and my struggles and yet embrace me because they know that I know them and their struggles and embrace them. Lord, when you're, when you're intimately participating in life, you're going to see behind the curtain. I pray, Lord, that I see this at work at CPC. I see it more and more at work. And I pray that we would become that beautiful picture, that it would be like, like the Notre Dame Cathedral, that people would look at the picture in Acts 2 and say, CPC, is, 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 uh, it's even more beautiful than this picture. But unlike that hotel, they wouldn't say, this does not match reality. This is an ugly place. Lord, make us beautiful. Because your son, the beautiful one, uh, we are his bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, our service is uh, supersized. It's supersized and it's free. You don't got to pay anything extra for it. Uh, You get more than the standard order. So in our series in Acts, which we're about the fourth or fifth week in, in our series in Acts a few weeks ago, We considered that God has given us uh, a mission and he has given us elders to guide us in that mission. And I want you to understand and believe that elders are a gift from God to his church. And then today we've we've considered the place of service in the church, how we are called to serve one another, but there are particular men in the church who are who are called to serve in some distinct ways. In fact, the word deacon means servant. So deacons are a gift from God to his church. Over a year ago, Uh, You, as members of Christ Presbyterian, you nominated Chris Stokes to serve as an elder and Benj Mosier to serve as a deacon. And then over the past year plus, they have been trained and qualified and recently elected, and today we have the joy of ordaining them and installing them uh, as officers in this church.